And we all make communication and boundary blunders, but it's important to make sure that you avoid something. So again, avoid getting caught up in the victim mentality, their victim mentality, and your victim mentality too. Avoid overreacting because overreacting causes you to lose credibility. You get labeled by others and you feel really vulnerable. Avoid underreacting because when you underreact, you're going to create some tension with your partner. You're also going to feel really burnt out and you're going to feel walked all over. You need to have realistic expectations of yourself, realistic expectations of your partner, and realistic expectations of your in-laws. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. This is an important one. Today, we're going to discuss in-law relationships. This has been one of our most requested topics. Joining a family is a really big deal. And if you add grandchildren to the mix, well, things can start to get complex really quickly. We are excited to have Ashley Mariani on the podcast today. She's a therapist that has experience in this department, and I know she's going to be so helpful for our listeners. Ashley, could you start off by telling us a little bit more about yourself, including what called you to become a therapist? Hi. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Um, It's funny when you ask a therapist about themselves because they're so used to talking about asking other people what's going on in their lives, how they got to this point. So sometimes I find that as a therapist, I get verbal diarrhea when people ask me about myself. (laughs) (laughs) But what got me here is uh, a dysfunctional family dynamic, wanting to feel like I'm making a difference in the world, being curious about my own Um, my own family dynamics and my own upbringing. And then also recognizing that the world needs more people who are able to listen and able to empower others to change, change their lives to be to, to the outcome that they're looking for essentially. And not, and that doesn't mean sometimes we hear people say, you know, to fix other people or to help them realize their potential. But everybody has it in them to make the changes that they need to make. And it's just about empowering them, really. Mm, I love that. You guys do such important work. And we both see a therapist. We find it to be so helpful. So thank you for what you do. The topic of in-laws is what we're going to cover today because we feel like it is so underserved. I know before the interview, Ashley and I were talking about this and she agreed with that. Every time we touch on it, our listeners are so hungry for more information. So we are going to try to cover as many listener questions as we can. So let's go, Ashley. (laughs) Um, One of the ones that came up over and over again was how do 
I deal with a passive aggressive in-law, whether that's the mother-in-law, the sister-in-law, whomever? Yeah, I really like this because it's it's specific to the passive aggressive piece. And I think that passive aggressive communication in the in-law dynamics is probably most seen in the mother-in-law dynamics. Um, but one, one concept that I want to call to the forefront is this idea of triangulation. <clears throat> and what makes triangulation in this dynamic especially hard to manage is that there are three parts because there's essentially three people, you, your partner, and the in-law. So we have to be very aware of our partner's own inner child wounds or their inner child dynamics with their parents and our expectations have to be reasonable given what we know about their past and their childhood and their upbringing. Um, for whatever reasons, if our partners seem unwilling to take a firm stand and actually set appropriate boundaries with their parents and their parents' behavior, we, we have to acknowledge that we're going to feel a lack of support um, from them. And that's going to feel more hurtful than the actual boundary violation itself. And it can feel like this tug of war for your partner's loyalty. When I think of triangulation, even within the, the therapeutic dynamic, you bring a couple to therapy and the therapist, and that would make a triangulation relationship. And that, that can be helpful when triangulation results in one or more parties feeling ignored, disrespected, or put somebody in an appropriate role, then it can be toxic. So to get back to this idea of passive aggressive communication, your, your in-laws are required to treat you with courtesy and respect. And, you know, this goes both ways too. But at the end of the day, if you can look at this dynamic and say, I feel like I've been respectful. I've checked in with my partner they've confirmed that I've been respectful. My in-laws, my in-laws are required to treat me with courtesy and respect. And this is not minimal and this is not, it's not negotiable. So even if their interference in your life as disguised as their, as their aggression is passive, they have crossed the line in creating issues within your relationship. And that's when we see the triangulation. One of the first suggestions, whether you encounter a triangular or a passive aggressive in-law or a passive aggressive neighbor or a passive aggressive coworker, first and foremost, do not take the bait. So when you react to them, it creates the argument that you've interpreted something that was untrue. So stay calm as hard as it is inside and you're having like these somatic reactions, staying calm and know that not being reactive to them is the most important skill. Second of all, regardless, again, if it's your in-law, your coworker, your own family member, avoid use statements because this signals blame. This will create more of a reaction in you and continue the cycle. So instead, get curious, which is really hard to do when your nervous system is jacked up from a boundary violation. But get curious and remember that this is not actually about you. So being able to remain assertive, but not reactive. 
this sounds like a conversation, like an example would be, this sounds like a conversation more appropriate for adult only space. I can hear that you're hurt. So can, I'm going to table this conversation until we can talk in private. And this would be an example of if your in-law decided to have a conversation in front of the kids. So move away from the mental space of, but they can't win. Like if they win this, if they win this argument, because you're not playing their game and you can only win if you're playing their game. So their game is to have you react so that they can be the victim. Their game is unclear communication that many people don't hold them accountable for. So when you say, it sounds like you're upset and they say, no, I'm not because that would be passive aggressive. Then you can say, okay, and move on, right? Chances are that if there's someone who uses passive aggressive communication, they're used to people pursuing them after they've made a clear statement like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm okay. Okay, you said you're okay. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to move on. If they continue to act as if they're upset about something, then you can say, I know you said you're upset, but I'm noticing that you're avoiding eye contact with me or XYZ. I need to go somewhere to talk about this. Worst case scenario, take space from them and keep your interactions to a minimum, very goal directed and very specific. And this is. This feels like really heavy, but you have to remember you can't change people. If they're used to this mode of communication, passive aggressiveness, chances are it's not only with you. And so therefore it's not going to change with you, but you can start letting them know what they can and cannot expect when they're in your space, when you're in their space. Ashley, there's so much goodness already just in that first response. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And you're right. We can't change other people. And chances are they are probably acting that way towards others. And you said something very specifically there with being assertive but not reactive and starting the conversation out right right from the start. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that's something that I have definitely not done a good job with in the past. But Amy and I, we, we both come a long way. So we've come a long way with our own mother-in-laws. And to both of their credits, they were willing to talk and go through some of these things that were coming up over and over again in order for our relationships to get to a better place. But like in most cases, Amy and I were also both part of the issue. So we had to be willing to hear feedback on our end as well. Mm-hmm. When we start to share stories, a lot of times our audience will say, but I try to talk to my mother-in-law and she gets maybe really defensive. Maybe she starts to cry. So are there things that you suggest saying, or how can this conversation look if it feels like you can never get anywhere because of a big reaction? Yeah, this is really common. Um, And I like this piece around where can you take accountability? And sometimes it's our partners that open up that door to Hey, listen, I love you. I love them. This is what I see them doing wrong. This is what I see you doing wrong. And to have our partners point that out can feel, it can feel like a loyalty thing, but it's important to understand like they do love both parties. And at the end of their day, their loyalty needs to be with you and your family, but taking their perspective to heart is important too, because they're a part of this. So I like that. Um, There is, 
there is something that's quite common for those who take on the passive aggressive behaviors as well. This um, big reaction. And I've seen more examples of crying than I have seen of aggression. And, and to use the example of crying, the crying may be, may be genuine. And there are just some people when they're put under pressure or when they're feeling disconnected or rejected or abandoned or stressed even, that's just a stress response and that's okay. Um, but it may have been a tool used in their past to create a victim narrative and avoid responsibility. So it's important to always start with empathy and compassion. And if the crying is preventing them from hearing you set your boundaries, so if, if it's you saying, listen, this needs to happen, and they're crying and they say, I know, but I just, clearly, clearly I'm upset. Clearly you can see I'm upset right now. I just can't get over that you would think of me this way. It's important to, again, not react. You can move a tissue box towards them, you know, use nonverbal communication, tilt your head to the side, do all the, the cliche therapist things. But it's really important that you don't derail the conversation and enable it and continue to communicate your expectations and feelings. And if this is your partner's family member, it's important to have this conversation with your partner beforehand before the conversation so it's not derailed by their childhood wounds and old patterns of seeing their mother cry. And for some partners, seeing their mother cry might be a trigger in a way that causes them to disconnect and get frustrated. But for some people, seeing their mother cry might be a, might trigger that response of, oh, just let her be, just let her be. She's clearly upset. So their job is to lead these conversations because it is their parent. And it's important for you to be present to communicate your needs clearly and to avoid the triangulation that splits up a couple and different stories are being heard, et cetera. Oh, this is getting complex fast, though, because I've heard of it where, um, you know, the family kind of has just accepted that this is their mom's behavior. So they're yeah. like, nope you know, mom always cries when we point something out. This is just how she is. But then that new adult enters the family and they're like, you know what, this isn't okay because we should be able to have these talks. So I think that that's where it can get really sticky is the spouse has just accepted like, this is how my mom is. And the partner's like, but that's not okay. Yeah. And, and that's why these conversations need to be almost scripted before you discuss this with your, with the in-law. And if you know this, if you know that this particular victim mentality is enabled by your partner and other family members, then this would be a reason to be present, especially if that boundary involves you in particular or your kids. And let's get into that a little bit. We got a lot of questions surrounding boundaries. One listener asked, how can I set boundaries 
when they have views that are very different from mine. You know, with the election coming up here in America, we have had this question over and over again because people are finding they have very political very different political views from their in-laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it's funny because um, politics are obviously running rampant everywhere, but I, I don't think in Canada that political divide is as strong as it is in the States. So this is very interesting to me. You guys are just up there watching us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it out. Yeah. And like, I've heard of, I've heard of families in the States, like even go through divorce because they couldn't agree on, on the political values. And, and I haven't heard of that here. So I, this is this is very interesting to me. Um, but boundaries are established to continue to have a healthy relationship with someone and not to cut someone out of your life. And so essentially, if somebody is trying to set a boundary with us, we should be really honored that they're putting the time and effort into the boundary setting versus just saying, you're not worth it. It's costing me too many of my resources. I'm just going to cut ties. And it communicates, not you in my life, but it's not working this way. So here's what I need to continue to enjoy having you in my life. Um, when it comes to uh, even different views, we have to think first and foremost about picking your battles. If everything is a boundary violation, you're going to be labeled as the difficult person. So you need to sit down and think about what are your non-negotiables and tackle those first and foremost. Having a different view on something is not necessarily going to impact your life. Having a different view that impacts, and we can use the example of feminism that we talked about before we started recording. If there is an in-law who... um, believes that women, let's say, are the lesser sex and women's rights aren't a top priority. And so those views impact you when you go to their home, then of course, that's a boundary that's going to need to be set. Mm. But if somebody decides to, I don't even know, because I don't know the American platforms. So if somebody decides that um, that this is just a view that they have and it's aligned with this political party and it doesn't impact your life, it doesn't impact how they view you, it doesn't impact how they act when they're in your space, then this is an example of being able to pick your boundaries. And we have to remember that if you haven't communicated a boundary to this person before, this is going to trigger a reaction to them. They feel embarrassed or insecure. Alternatively, if you have in one way or another asked them to discontinue what they're doing or stop a similar behavior and they react negatively, then this is an indication that they have benefited from you not having these boundaries. They, they may react in a way that intimidates you so that you go back on those boundaries, but you need to be firm and confident in the boundaries that you're setting. 
So this is where I say you need to sit down. You need to figure out what are your values? When are your values being violated? Are these violation of values, boundary violations by your in-laws? Who, who, was, who in general is just violating these values of yours? And when you figure out what your non-negotiables are and you're ready to pick these battles, essentially, there's a formula for boundary setting that we can use once you've decided to bring it to their attention that something is going on that you're not okay with. And that formula is, I feel when you, what I want is. So part of this formula is going to have to be very specific so that no interpretation is a part of the equation. So if you say, I feel disrespected and you end it at that, they could easily come back and say, well, I wasn't being disrespectful. So instead you can say, I feel disrespected when you tell my child that he doesn't have to A, B, and C after I have asked him to A, B, and C. What I want is, or what I would appreciate if you did was A, B, and C. So boundary setting doesn't have to be a scary thing, but you need to decipher, is this person reacting because this is the first that they've heard of this? Or is this person reacting because they have had some kind of secondary gain from me not having boundaries? If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And when we think of um, the political issues that are going on in the U.S., like things feel really high stakes right now. So I think that's why there's more of an emotional toll when someone has a different opinion or they're voting for a different candidate. So for my in-laws and I, we are. That is what we are. We are voting for two different candidates. We see issues different ways. We are able to have those conversations and state our points respectfully, calmly. We don't escalate. I just know they see the world a different way and I'm going to give them the space to do that. I can't change their minds about this. So is it a fair boundary for families to say, you know what, we just don't agree on this. Um, so, so let's not talk about it. Would 100%. that be fair? Yeah. And I think that there are some instances where there needs to be firmer boundaries set. So when it comes to things like racism, um, I think it's, very, very, or sexism, I think it's very, very appropriate to say, I will not tolerate this conversation um, in my space, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if this, if this kind of conversation continues and we're going to have to, you know, A, B, and C, maybe that looks like limit the visits. But if, if this kind of conversation is something that you want to talk about, please don't do it while we're around because this isn't appropriate and isn't aligned to the way we live in our values. Asha, let's stay on this piece of it because boundaries keeps coming up. It comes up over and over and over again. So one person asked, what do you suggest when in-laws go against a boundary, even if you've already stated it? So in this example, posting a picture of your child on social media, even if you explicitly said, please don't do this over and over again, what do you do in this situation? Yeah, this, um, this example brings me back to a time, and I shared this on my Instagram stories, that 
Um, I have struggled with in-law boundaries as well. And I seem to have more rigid boundaries when I'm pregnant or postpartum. Um, just because my family and my partner's family were, are, we are very different dynamic. Um, I'm very independent. This family is very uh, dependent on each other. And so this example in particular brought me back to preparing for the birth of our child and knowing that I had a lot of anxiety around the unknowns of people's behavior. And then I realized that I had not communicated any kind of expectations. And as, as weird as it might seem, I needed to communicate this not to just one person, but to a mass group of people that I knew followed me on social media. So the way I, the way I laid it out was very um, empathetic around, we know it's really exciting to celebrate the birth of a new baby. We're all really, we're, we're excited to have you all come visit and meet him, blah, blah, blah. But these are going to be some things that we're going to need to have happen in order to make these visits pleasurable for you and for the baby and for us. And so I kind of listed a bunch of things and I was very lighthearted, but, but assertive in the sense that I would say, we're prioritizing breastfeeding and nursing. And so unless you want to see boobs, you know, you got to give them a heads up before you can't just come to the house and, and knock on the door and expect us to answer. So we appreciate if you send a text to confirm a time that works for us. Um, other things like, we know it's really fun to celebrate the new parents, um, but having um, like balloons and things sent to the hospital, our hands are going to be full with all the baby gear. So we just really appreciate if you could just bring your presence to our home, presence as in your energy, not gifts, <laughs> gifts to our, our, your, your energy to our home instead, and maybe bring like a nice cooked meal versus balloons that aren't going to last very long. So this is a great time to offer alternative behavior to what you're seeing. If you're seeing something, Hey mom, I noticed that we talked about not posting a picture on Facebook. Um, and I did notice that you happened to post them. How about, and, and I know you're really excited to share pictures of your grandkids, but how about instead of posting to Facebook, we could post to a group chat. I'd really appreciate that. And then if the behaviors continue, this is when you'd be able to use the formula that we mentioned. And if it continues even after you've used the formula, then there's additional part that can be included, but you have to be really firm on, I'm prepared to enforce this. Because if you're not prepared to enforce this, then these individuals are not going to be able to take your boundary seriously. So you would continue the, I feel when you, I want, if you continue to A, B, and C, and then you need to decide what you're going to commit to. Sometimes that means if you continue to take pictures of my children, I'm going to have to ask that um, you check in with me before you post something, or it could be as, it could be depending on who you are, it could be, I'm going to have to ask you to leave your phone in the car and not take pictures of my kids and just accept the pictures that I send you. 
or I'm going to have to ask that you only share the pictures that I post to social media because I've approved them. But whatever it is that you decide, you have to be ready to follow through with what you're saying. That was such a good example. I keep the word that keeps coming to my mind is complex because (laughs) obviously, as humans, we all have different values. So, your mother in law might think that that's a ridiculous, you're, you know, you not wanting her to post on Facebook is ridiculous. Well, you know, that's not fair because that's something that people do really value their privacy. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's interesting, especially if there are big differences. Other people that wrote in said they do try to set boundaries with their in-laws. But what ends up happening is that it causes a real rift in the relationship. Um, they were wondering, is there some non-extreme consequences that you could give as examples for people that are not respecting boundaries? <laughs> Um, I think it, this one really depends on the boundary itself and it depends on what the couple is comfortable with and what the couple can live with versus what they can't. And I think it goes also back to this idea that you just need to be prepared that when you set boundaries with people that are not used to having boundaries set with them, there is going to be a reaction. Um, But boundaries are truly about choice. Yes, you can choose to do this thing that I want you to not do. And if you decide to do that, I will make my decision about how I'm going to respond. Even when there's a clear preference for what we want someone to do, there's room for them to make a genuine choice. And while anger can inform our process, and anger is a useful signal that someone is doing something that we don't want them to do, it's like that internal red flag, boundaries are usually best received when they're not spoken angrily. So boundaries also let the other options remain open. They don't have to be either or, even when they block some of the possibilities. And this is where I like to talk about the difference between boundaries and ultimatums. Because sometimes we hear this, right? You're giving me an ultimatum. No, I'm setting a boundary with you. You can choose not to do this. But my reaction based on you not, not doing this I've already informed you of what that might look like. So you, you are making a choice. This is about your choice. And we do this all the time with our kids, right? We, especially when we are talking about the world of attachment parenting, right? And, and building secure attachment and allowing kids to have choice. You can choose to dump your milk on the table. If that's what you choose to do, then I'm going to have to take you down from the table and I'm going to have to say that you don't get any dessert at the end. Or you can choose to leave your cup where it is and drink it properly. And then we can all enjoy dessert together. But ultimatums come from a desire for control and force. And boundaries come from a place of power and strength. Ultimatums shut down options. Boundaries open up choices. Ultimatums stop conversations. Boundaries start one. Ultimatums threaten with consequences so it it, even though it might have sounded like there's a threat with a consequence when you set a boundary 
boundaries offer a chance to seek a solution. So this is when when the boundary hasn't been penetrated or violated to the extreme. This is like the early stages when when you can offer a solution and you can say, you know, I, I that the idea of the group chat. You know, I I've asked you not to do this. I'm still seeing this behavior. Can we come up with a solution? Ultimatums are rigid, boundaries are firm yet resilient. Ultimatums often end a relationship and boundaries invite the relationship to change. And boundaries that have the need to be reinforced over and over and over again because the person is not respecting you are going to sound a little bit more like ultimatums. And Ashley, as you say all those words, I think that we can all agree that setting boundaries is going to be a lot more positive than those ultimatives. So think about the choices, the solutions, being resilient. Mm-hmm. I mean, far more beneficial for any type of relationship than the threatening and the rigid. So yeah, thanks for just panning those out and really showing those differences. Yeah. I know they can get confusing. Yeah. And it goes back to the empathy and the anger piece too. If you're communicating with your in-law out of anger and you're reacting, then it's going to feel more like an ultimatum. Ooh, good. So one thing that people echoed is to make sure that we ask the question if it's their own parents that are the issue. So they feel like their parents are being the in-laws that are causing those issues. So is this a conversation that you suggest having with your own parents because you do have the history or is it better to let whichever adult is having the issue to speak for themselves? Yeah, I like this. Um, And I think it depends on, again, the dynamic. If you're very aware and you are able to hold your parents accountable for their behavior and call them out and you don't have that inner child wound of wanting to please them or enabling their behavior, I think it's very possible for you to have these conversations with them on their own because they're your parents. That's your responsibility. And it kind of kind of removes this idea that in every other situation in life, we say things like, listen, you're the one that has a problem with them, so you go and talk to them. But now, regardless, you've created triangulation because you're involved. That's your partner and your parents. So we have to go back to thinking about this concept of triangulation that we talked about earlier and the rule of thumb that I always go by. That is, if it's your parents, there's an issue with you lead the conversation and always have your partners back. Your parents, you take the lead. Both of you might be present during the conversation, but it's important for them to know the message is coming from the both of you as a unit. Yeah, I think I needed this episode like four years ago. (laughs) That would have been really a helpful thing. We tried it like every which way. And it actually did work better when I spoke for myself. Um, But we didn't have these like really clear talks. Like often Drew would call his parents and, you know, try to communicate something. So I can see too how we could have improved a lot faster, I think, Do you recommend the face-to-face versus over the phone when you're dealing with this stuff? I think it has to do with how hostile is it? How passive-aggressive is it? Um, What do the behaviors look like when people are trying to go off track or reroute the conversation? Um, 
for, for my dynamic in particular, it was really, and, and this, this also goes back to the couple itself, right? If you have, um, if you are a more dominant woman and your partner is a more passive male, let's say, and the issue is with your mother-in-law, then it is going to feel like it's very easy to, to blame and point fingers at you and watch your partner fall back into that childhood wound dynamic. And this isn't about trust. It's just about, it's not about not trusting him to say what you, what you're hoping that he's going to say. It's just about being a team and being a unit. And if you can convey this message on the phone in a way that demonstrates you are a team and that you have each other's back and there's nothing that's going to come between you both and your marriage and your relationship, then I think it's very doable. But if you know that going and sitting in front of your parents or your in-laws is going to trigger either you or your partner to kind of take a step back from what you've agreed on because of fear of confrontation or fear of conflict, then you need to approach it though in a way that you both feel the strongest in. Oh, interesting. Another one that came up um, a few times is what if the parents in the in-laws feel competitive with each other? So they are scorekeeping to see, to say who you see more. Um, they are pointing out where you spend the holidays. They are mad if the other couple gets to meet the baby first. Like, how do you handle something like that? Mm-hmm. And we see this quite often, especially, especially when there's kids involved, right? Because now it's more of a scarcity mindset. Now it's more of a, well, I want to be the better grandparent. I want to be more involved. I want the grandchildren to have fond memories of me. I want to be the best. And so it kind of goes back to that. You can't change people, but your, these are I'm just going to use the example of having kids. Like these are your kids. You get to decide the things. And if they have a problem with the amount of time that you're spending with the other grandparents, for example, maybe it is actually about sitting down and thinking, are we, are we making some kind of preferential treatment towards one or the other? And if you are, do you have the insight to be able to talk about why is it because one, one set of grandparents violates boundaries while you're visiting them and you are avoiding spending time with them? Is it because one set of grandparents is more helpful than the other set of grandparents? And this is not a conversation that you have with them, but you need to really understand as a family and as a couple, why? Why might this look like this? And, it, and if it's an insecurity piece that on, on your parents or your in-laws part, then that's something that they need to work out. But the boundary would come in the form of, listen, you've said this, you think that this is happening. I'm sorry that you think this. I know that probably feels like an attack 
on you or it makes you feel rejected or makes you feel abandoned or not good enough. This is a, this is a impact versus um, intent versus, versus impact thing. Our, our intent was never to make you feel that way, but I can clearly see that that's how you feel. Um, but this is how we're, this, the, these are the logistics of it. You live five hours away. They live 30 minutes away. And this is the boundary that I'm setting. I, I, I'm here to listen to you, but I'm not going to change anything about, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to tell them that they can't come and visit. Let's be realistic here. Um, but it's also about identifying, is this toxic behavior? And we all make communication and boundary blunders, but it's important to make sure that you avoid something. So again, Avoid getting caught up in the victim mentality, their victim mentality, and your victim mentality too. Avoid overreacting because overreacting causes you to lose credibility. You get labeled by others and you feel really vulnerable. Avoid underreacting because when you underreact, you're going to create some tension with your partner. You're also going to feel really burnt out and you're going to feel walked all over. You need to have realistic expectations of yourself, realistic expectations of your partner, and realistic expectations of your in-laws. It's important to create boundaries with in-laws and parents that work for you, and not everyone is the same, therefore they won't have the same boundaries in place for them. Again, going back to remaining strong as a team and confident in your decisions is important, but again, even when we talk about boundaries in general, not just with family members or in-laws, you're not going to have the same boundary with every person you meet. So if you have a boundary regarding touch, maybe you accept hugs from close family members and you do not accept any kind of hug from a new acquaintance, etc. So if you feel like you can trust your parents to make decisions when they're babysitting your child, let's say, that are in aligned to your family values, but you can't trust that your in-laws are going to make the same decisions because in the past that they've violated that, then it's important for the two of you to recognize it. It's important for the two of you to say, this is why we have a boundary for this person and not this person. And maybe it's about bringing that up and saying, depending on what the situation is, listen, mom, like we would love to spend more time with you. But the problem is every time you go there, every time we're there, we ask you not to give our kids A, B, and C, and you still do it. So it makes it really hard to visit you. I don't know if that answers all your question. No, it does. And I feel that in my core, especially with having a baby in COVID and not having people come to the hospital, where when people come to the hospital, everyone roughly sees the baby at the same time. But now it was like, okay, we can't have everyone come to our house all at the same time. So that was just really, really hard, kind of not picking and choosing, but going through those boundaries set. And then with COVID in general, I think a lot of more families are setting boundaries around their children and who they're able to see. So thank you for going into all those details. Yeah. And Ashley, for the last part of the interview, 
we have to get into the shifts that take place when children enter the equation. You've talked about this a little bit, but I know that it got a lot harder for me and for other women that are experiencing the same thing. So one big question that kept coming through is how to handle grandparents and in-laws that are parenting so much differently from you. So even after being explicitly asked not to do something or if they're offending, doing something that you really are uncomfortable with, how do you go about this situation? Mm-hmm. I like this and it taps into this idea of the attachment parenting too. And um, kids are really res- resilient. And especially when they get to a specific age, kids know what to expect at grandma and grandpa's house and they know what to expect at mommy and daddy's house. And that doesn't mean that always the rules go out the window once they come back home from grandma and grandpa's or they've unlearned values or they've unlearned rules. But if you've, so, so being very aware that different adults can have different relationships with your kids and that's okay. But again, you have to go back to these non-negotiables. For example, um, I'll use my family, for example. My dad is a firm believer of spanking. He, um, we grew up being spanked on the hand when we did something that we shouldn't have. Um, he also is a firm believer in removing self-soothing objects as a form of punishment. So we had, you know, blankies and soothers and stuffies. And, you know, if you're not listening, then this is going to go away and that's going to be the end of it. So it was a very like authoritarian type of parenting. Um, That is not how I parent at all whatsoever. And I, given the work that I do, I can see the damage that, that, that kind of parenting style can do to children So when we're in my dad's space, when we're visiting him at the cottage or when we're in his house, there are certain things that I know I would let slide. So when he says things like, nope, you're not allowed to get down from the table until after you finish your meal, I respect that that's his rule. And I also kind of make room for the fact that maybe my kid is distracted and hasn't eaten as much as he could, but under no circumstances would I be okay with spanking or removing his stuffy if that's what he wanted to self-soothe. And so I'm in a situation where he has told me, I don't agree with everything you do when it comes to parenting, but I respect that that's how you're raising your kid. It's harder when... when the the parent or the in-law says maybe even passive aggressively or doesn't, doesn't say it verbally, but says it more out of, out of their using their actions. I don't respect your parenting style and therefore it's not going to take place when I'm around. And that's when the boundary setting formula needs to come into play. If you've already said it, um, Another example that I have is my family didn't eat meat for a very long time and my son has never consumed meat at all. And so we were visiting my in-laws and my mother-in-law had meat on her plate and my son was sitting on her lap and I was standing right in front of them. 
And she put the meat on a fork and put it in his mouth and said, oh, I just want to try. Mm. And I almost lost my marbles. And I couldn't have gotten reached across the counter to get that meat out faster. And the problem was that she knew this. She had cooked for us 500 times before. She knew we didn't eat meat. She knew that my son had never had meat. And this idea that she was going to be the first to give him meat was angered me to the point where I needed to remove myself from the room. I had gone downstairs. I had talked to my husband about it. I had told him right now is probably not the best time to bring it up because it just happened. But this is a very important conversation that I think that the three of us need to have together because I don't, I can't trust her to feed my child if this is going to continue. So again, it was, she had prior knowledge to this being a boundary, very, very evident because she knew and she had cooked for us. She had been in my son's life for a significant amount of time. And so we were able to enforce that formula that I feel when you, and that seemed to get across to her. And, and the consequence was, you're not going to be able to have the opportunity to feed your grandson or have your grandson sit near you during mealtimes if we can't trust that you're going to uphold our values. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners, maybe it's not meat in your situation. Maybe it's too many desserts or yeah. candy at 9 a.m. Like I feel like the conversation of food with in-laws and grandparents, I, we could talk about that all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So let's switch gears here a little bit, Ashley. Another question that came in is what is the best way to approach the situation if grandparents are very obviously demonstrating that they have a favorite grandchild? <laughs> um, it's, it's hard because this is an unspeakable topic that sometimes parents struggle with as well. And I've sat down with many a parent that had said, it's not that it's not I have a favorite kid. It's that I love them differently, but this kid just triggers me in ways because of unresolved childhood, blah, blah, blah. And this kid is just way more easygoing and way more, you know, fun to play with and doesn't throw temper tantrums and I can take them out to the grocery store. And so it's not that I, I love one child more than the other. So if, if parents are having, these kind of unspeakable moments, then I think it's fair to say that grandparents are allowed to have them too. The problem becomes how is their behavior impacting your children? Are your children able to decipher that their cousins are favorited over them? And what does that look like? Does it look like disrespect towards your kids? Does it look like the cousins get, you know, really expensive um, Christmas gifts and your kid gets something from the dollar store? How can we think about this from a rational brain perspective? Is it because the cousins are seven, eight, nine years old and have the responsibility of more, can have the responsibility of more expensive gifts or, is it truly because they favorite them more? And I think that if you have a good relationship with your in-laws or your parents, 
this is a perfect opportunity to say, again, lead with empathy and compassion. I know you love your grandkids. You are an amazing grandparent. All of these amazing things that you've done for your grandkids. When I see this behavior, this behavior, this behavior, very specific behavior, I can't help but feel like you have a great favorite grandkid. And I might be wrong but this is just what's coming up for me. And I just want to clarify things and I want to let you know how I feel because I don't want that to reflect on my kid either. I don't want my kid to say, mommy, it feels like grandma and grandpa don't love me anymore. It feels like they like so-and-so better than me. And there'll be a point where your kid's going to be able to identify that. And you are your kid's spokesperson. And so if that does come up, then it's about talking them, you know, this is what they said to me. I feel it. They see it and they feel it. So how can we, how can we go about this differently to make sure that everybody feels included and fair and loved? These are some hard topics. Like we can totally, all three of us understand why these bring up emotions and why it's hard to talk about these things. It really is this ever-present dynamic that does take work. So I wanted to end with that. It isn't always natural and easy like it looks like online. I know often I'm scrolling past these families. Um, My therapist reminded me once, you are not the only one with complex family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are not alone. If you're feeling these struggles, our question box was flooded with questions. So Ashley, thank you so much for being here. And please finish by telling everyone where they can find more of you. Yeah, amazing. Uh, this was a fantastic conversation. I am on Instagram primarily. That's where I put all my energy and resources. So my Instagram handle is mind, M-I-N-D, online therapy. Uh, I have a website that's www.mindonline.ca. I am actually going out of my comfort zone and dabbling into Patreon. And I have no idea what I'm doing, but stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. Who the heck knows? Um, And at one point I had started a podcast and there's, in, in relation to the boundaries topic, I feel like there's a pretty decent episode on boundaries in general. And that's at the Social Detox Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, wherever podcasts are hosted. Um, that's Social Detox, D-E-T-A-L-K-S. Ooh, I like the play on words there. That's fun. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Ashley, again so much. And for those of you who are looking for more resources, just like the hour-long conversation that we had today, please look into Ashley's stuff. It's this is just the tip of the iceberg. So thank you again so very much. Thank you, Abby and Amy.